Hey guys, we're so excited to share this message with you on the Center Set podcast. My name is Ethan and I lead worship here at Center Set. We'd love for you to download our app so that you can keep up with all that is happening in our community. Text Center Set to 77977 to download. Good evening. What is up, Center Set Church? And uh, I know this is weird. I'm preaching from a screen, but I got an update for you. My uh, poor wife, she is uh, at home with COVID and I have been exposed. Uh, thankfully, my rapid test came back negative, but just to be on the safe side, just to love my neighbor as myself, to be above reproach, there's no way I was going to make it to service uh, being exposed to my sick wife. Uh, pray for her. She's at home. She is definitely in bed uh, feeling terrible. Thankfully, I got no symptoms. My girls are good. We're blessed. We're great. So we appreciate your prayers. And if we haven't met, my name is Ali and my, uh, my wife and I who's sick. Uh, three or four years ago, we started this place called Center Set, and we had a simple dream, and we wanted to create a place where not only Christians could grow in their faith, and let me tell you, today, every Christian in the room is going to be challenged, because today we are starting 21 days of prayer and fasting, and I pray that this morning, you didn't have bacon for breakfast, you had broccoli, in Jesus' name, okay? Because we're starting 21 days of prayer and fasting, and it's going to end on January 29th, and on the 30th, we're having a guest speaker, Nathan Finocchio. We're going to have food trucks. It's a Sunday you don't want to miss. We're going to celebrate all that God did for us in the next 21 days. But it's also a place, listen, where if you're new to church, you're exploring Christianity, this is a place where you can belong long before you believe. And um, we are in a collection of talks called Give Your Year to God. And what we're doing for the next four or five weeks, here, we are just walking through the book of Genesis, uh, trying to pull out spiritual principles so that our life won't just be different with cars or a job, it will be different spiritually because we'll have more of Jesus than we did last year. Amen? And I just want to, before we begin, just say this very quickly. I don't know what you came in tonight with. I don't know what you're carrying. I don't know what you're struggling with, but I just believe that God is going to use this word to reveal himself to you tonight in a way that he never has before. If you have your Genesis journal, it's page 84. If you have your Bible, it's Genesis chapter 32, starting at verse 22. If you see it on the screen, someone say amen. Even though I'm not in the room, I'm pausing for you guys. That night, Jacob, someone say Jacob. If you're new, we are a loud church. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives. Someone say one too many. And his his two female servants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent them over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob answered, Jacob, he said. Then the man said, what is that? Your name will no longer be be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask me my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. I'm going to spend this evening full of the Holy Spirit preaching this idea. The struggle is real. The struggle is real. And God wants to speak tonight in a way that he never has. Would you, even through a screen, close your eyes and bow your head and pray with me. God, thank you so much, God, that you have us here tonight. Uh, for those watching online or those in the room or those by way of podcast. God, we're we not gathering in vain. We're not listening in vain. But as we gather, God, we believe that your spirit is here in our midst. I pray that every person can hear the sound of my voice, God, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would begin to permeate the room that that person who's listening would, be, would encounter you and feel you, God. That every word coming out of my mouth would be anointed by you, empowered by you. Jesus, I'm not happy you're pre- speaking. It's not a TED Talk. This is preaching. And you anoint preaching supernaturally. God, every seed that goes forth, it would drop into good soil. That hearts and lives would be changed, Jesus. That we came in one way, God, but we're going to leave another. God, we we believe all these things, 
we, we pray all these things in the great, mighty, beautiful, powerful name of Jesus. And if you believe that, everyone said, come on, everybody said, amen. And uh, today, is, it's week two of 2022, which means New Year's resolutions are still alive and well. The gym, come on, is still packed. People still have hopes to lose 10 pounds, uh, uh, hopes for a wife, kids, that job, maybe that car you're, you've been dreaming about. But as a faith community, we say we want something greater than dreams, greater than aspirations, greater than goals. We want to give our year to God because the more of Him that we get, the better our year is going to be. And uh, what we've been doing and are going to do for the next four or five weeks is just walk through the book of Genesis, pulling out principles as the people of God encounter Jesus in Genesis. And I want to teach you a framework before we begin our story of five ways that God reveals Himself particularly in the book of Genesis, but even throughout the Old Testament. And I want to, to teach you these things. Number one is this thing called events. Someone say events. God will, will often allow something to happen or an event to occur, and he's revealing his nature, his character through that event. For example, the, the Passover with the Israelites. They were stuck in Israel. They were stuck in Egypt, forgive me. And God said, I want you to take an innocent lamb, kill it, and then spread its blood over the doorpost of your home. And that night, the angel of death will pass over you and Jesus is the fulfillment of that of that calling of that promise he is the Passover lamb that if you are in Christ death literally passes over you and you have salvation and the second thing is this thing called titles someone say titles that God has over a hundred names hundred names ways that he reveals his character his nature through the scriptures he is the alpha and the omega he is the God who sees he's the God who provides he's the God who heals and all of these names find their fulfillment in Jesus and then there's this third one, it's prophecy. Someone say prophecy. And did you know that the scriptures are one-third of the Bible is prophetic in nature? Uh, there are 300 prophecies about Jesus alone, and some of them are uh, thousands and thousands of years old. And the oldest is actually in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, where God prophesied that one day he would help humanity, he would save humanity by sending a Savior, that he would strike the serpent's head, but the serpent would strike its heel. That's a, called the Proto-Evangelion. It's the first prophecy of Jesus in the scriptures. This fourth one, which is not as common, is called like experiences. Someone say like experiences. So when someone will do something and then Jesus will do that just like that. Uh, for example, we read last week in, through the story of Abraham that Abraham, he waited to have this son and God said, I want you to sacrifice your son on the altar. And Isaac and Abraham, they walk up Mount Moriah and Isaac is carrying the wood for his own sacrifice. And in a like way, Jesus carries his wood on his back when he dies upon a cross. And the fifth way is the most uncommon of all of them. It's Christophany. Someone say Christophany. And uh, I need a show of hands. I can't see you, but I believe by faith you're going to participate. How many of you remember Where's Waldo books? Come on. Where are my 80 kids at? Come on. Where's Waldo? And I'm believing some hands went up. If you didn't, you were not born in the greatest generation ever. I remember as a little kid spending hours at the Cupertino Library after elementary school, hours poring over this book looking for Where's Waldo. If you don't know where Where's Waldo is, it's this book where the artist would, would draw like a thousand people on a picture. They're at the beach. They're at a park, they're at a sporting event, and your job, and my job, is to look for a dude named Waldo. And Waldo wears the same outfit in every picture. He's got a red beanie on, he's got a black rim glasses, and red and white striped sweater. He was the original hipster, and Waldo's often hiding in many of these pictures. And your job is to find Waldo, and, and throughout the scriptures, there are moments and times where the people of God will interact with someone who doesn't seem like a human. It, it, it feels like a divine where's Waldo moment. I think this is God. And that's why Genesis chapter 32 is so beautiful. In Genesis chapter 32, we get a like experience and a Christophany. And uh, Jesus is the true and better Jacob, he, like a like experience, but it's also a Christophany that Jacob literally wrestles with Jesus in the flesh. And uh, if you haven't read this story before, let me catch you up. Let me give you some context to the text. That In the story, we, we were introduced to a man named Jacob. Everybody say Jacob. Jacob has a twin brother named Esau. And these two men have a father by the name of Isaac. And Isaac has a father, many of you know, by the name of Abraham. And often God will re reveal himself in, in the scriptures as the God of Abraham, Isaac, 
and Jacob. And these are the fathers of our faith. These are the pioneers of our faith that we are following in their footsteps of faith. And Jesus literally comes through their lineage. And the story of faith really begins when God comes to Abraham when he's 75 years old and says, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. And Abraham's like, I think you got the wrong dude. How can I be the father of many nations, let alone a nation, when I can't even have one kid? And God's like, Trust me, I'm, I'm the miracle working God. I can do it. Abraham has to wait 25 years. He's 100 years old. His wife is 90 before they have their son. And there are so many details I'd love to preach to you. If you don't want to know more, listen to last week's story. Uh, but I, I love this story because it's so encouraging. Because I believe this room right now is filled with people who God has given a God dream. He has placed a burden, a, a desire on your heart, and it hasn't come to pass. And I want to encourage you, just because the dream is delayed does not mean that the dream is denied. And if God can do a miracle and give birth through a 90-year-old woman, he can give birth to your dream. Amen? So don't settle. Don't settle. And then Isaac has his own sons, uh, Jacob and Esau. And the Bible describes uh, these two as, as like a dichotomy. Like one of these things is not like the other. And the Bible makes it very clear that Esau is the firstborn. He is, he's born first, but it describes him, uses this language, as very hairy. And my first thought is, how hairy do you have to be to be described as hairy? And it's not just that he's hairy. The Bible says that he's, his hair is red. Many theologians believe this is the first reference of Elmo in the scriptures. And uh, Esau is a, a wild man. He's a hunter. He's, he's out in the wilderness. Think Bear grills. This guy drives an F-150. He shops at Bass Pro Shop. He, 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 he hunts and eats the animals that he hunts. This dude is, like a, uh, is different. Jacob is a mama's boy. How do we know this? Because it says he spends all his time in the tent. Whereas Esau's bear grills, Jacob is Steve Carell from 40-Year-Old Virgin. Whereas Esau loves WWF, Jacob loves the great British baking show. Like these two are nothing alike. And Jacob, it makes very clear, is born second. And Esau is born first. And the reason why I need to emphasize that, because in that culture and in that day, the firstborn got all the blessings. The firstborn got all the inheritance, all the wealth, and it wasn't just physical blessings. Listen, it was also spiritual. The father would lay hands on the firstborn son, and in essence, he was transferring everything that God had given him spiritually onto the firstborn, and he wouldn't do that on the secondborn. And Jacob, he wants this blessing, even though he's born second. So he forms a plan, and one day Esau comes home. He's very thirsty. He's very hungry. He's, he, he's been out hunting all day, and he's like, ah, oh, I'm so hungry I could die. He's definitely a drama king, right? And Jacob just happens to be there with a bowl of soup. It's probably a, a, a clam chowder bowl and sourdough bread bowl, right? It's, the, it's real soup. And Esau's like, I want some soup. And Jacob's like, I'll give it to you, but you got to give me your birthright. Like, let me just call time out real quick. That is a terrible trade. Like, how desperate do you have to be to give up your birthright for some soup? And the scriptures are trying to teach you something through the story. That often when we are tired, when we are fatigued, when we are desperate, we will lower our standards. I remember there was this one time, I'll never forget, it was 15 years ago. I was working and living in LA and I, I moved, I Came up to the Bay Area for like two or three weeks uh, for work. And we had, uh, we did not have Chipotle in LA, at least where I lived. And the first Chipotle was actually in Sunnyvale. And pfft, dude, I, I, Taco Bell's up here for me. Jesus is number one. Taco Bell's, my wife's number two. I'm telling you, Taco Bell's number three. And Chipotle is like right there. Like I love Chipotle. And if you don't love Chipotle, the, the exit's back in the back of the room. Please don't let the door hit you on the way out. Like, that's how much I love Chipotle. And every day, I'm not lying, for five days straight, for, for lunch and dinner, I had Chipotle. By day five, one night, I, no, I didn't realize there's 1,500 milligrams of salt in every one of these burritos. By day five, I woke up in the middle of that, like dying of thirst. Like I just was like, Famished in the Sahara Desert. I walk over to the kitchen. I can't see anything. I open up the refrigerator door. I'm like, oh my God, it's so bright. Am I in heaven? It's like so bright. I can't even see. I just, I, I literally start drinking milk. Milk does not do a body good. It does not quench anything. But listen, when you are thirsty enough, you will drink anything. 
And I think there are so many people in the room right now that you've been on this faith journey and you're waiting on God. You're waiting on His promises, but you're tired from the journey. And it's in those moments where you will make a terrible decision. You will lower your standard. Instead of waiting for God's promise, you will settle for second best. And the prophetic word I have for some of you is don't settle. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't settle. Those of you in the chat window, type in, don't settle. So Jacob, he, he steals his brother's blessing, and now he needs to trick his father. And he now involves his mom in this grand scheme. He's like, Mom, I, I want the blessing. How do I trick my dad into giving it to me? His mom says, you need to cook your father's favorite meal, go into your father's bed, because at this point he's blind, and pretend to be your brother. And Jacob's like, I'm smooth, he's hairy. What do I do when my dad touches me? Again, shocking. The mom says, grab some fur and put it on your arm. How hairy do you have to be? Listen, that when people touch fur, they think they're touching you. Crazy, right? So Jacob goes in and his dad's like, oh my gosh, is that you, Esau? And Jacob's like, yes. Like he, he's, a man, he's, he's not a manly man. He's trying to like fake this voice, right? The point I'm trying to make is this man steals his brother's blessing when he was born second. And when Esau finds out, Esau's like, I'm going to pop a cap in this dude. Listen, he didn't want to pop. He actually wanted to pop an arrow because they didn't have guns back then. He had arrows. He, I'm going to kill Jacob. And Jacob go, fi, figures this plan out, goes to his mom, says, Mom, Esau's going to kill me. What do I do? She says, run. Go to my brother, your uncle Laban. Live with him and hopefully your brother will never find you. Just go. I love you. I'll never see you again. And literally they never see each other again. Jacob runs from Esau. He runs from his problems. He runs from his past. And he arrives at his, his uncle's Laban's house and begins to work for Laban. Begins to labor for Laban. Begins to farm and he harvest crops for Laban. And Laban, he's got two daughters. He's a girl dad like me. Rachel and Leah. And the Bible describes Leah as extremely beautiful. And there are actually only five people in the Bible that God describes as their outward appearance is extremely attractive. And the question is, well, why doesn't God do that more often? Well, because God doesn't value external beauty as much as he does internal beauty. You and I are, are enamored with the outside. God is enamored with the inside. And whereas Rachel's very beautiful, this, the other sister, Leah, the Bible describes as like weak-eyed. It's not because she needs glasses. It's because she's actually like hard to look at. And the Bible's just trying to be like politically correct, right? The only time it's ever done that. And of course, Jacob wants a hottie with a body. So he's like, I want Rachel. And he goes to Laban and says, what do I got to do to marry that hottie, right? And Laban's like, you got to work seven years. Can we just say time out real quick? Can I just speak to all the ladies in this place with style and grace? Seven years before she dropped her underwear and married Jacob. Come on. Some of you ladies don't even wait seven dates. Make that man work. Make him sweat a little bit. This dude has to work seven years and he was willing. And that's one of the signs that he is sent from God, that he will jump over any hurdle for you. Ladies, if he's not willing to wait, he's not the one. And Jacob, of course this dude is in love. He wants his Christian, hottie with a body. He works seven years for Rachel. On his wedding night, he drinks a little bit too much, goes at the end of the night, at the end of the party, sleeps with his wife. In the morning, he wakes up only to be shocked and amazed that he's next to Leah. Ah! Can you imagine? So I'm like, oh my God, like how can you go to bed with the wrong person? I don't know. Some of you know all about that, right? Like can we stop judging Jacob for a second, please? Come on. Before you... Pull the plank out of Jacob's eye. Can you pull it out of your eye? Come on. The why, the why behind Jacob's deception is Laban. Laban lied to him. Laban deceived him. Laban got him drunk and did a switcheroo on the honeymoon. It's not Jacob's fault. Jacob has been tricked. Jacob has been deceived, which is hilarious because this man is lying and deceiving his whole life. He's been sowing lies. He's been sowing deception. And for the first time in his life, He's finally reaping that harvest. And many of you in the room right now, you are reaping a harvest of what you sowed and you don't like the harvest. Sow something different then. Because the Bible says you will sow what you will reap what you sow. And it's hilarious because Jacob, his whole life is about deceiving. He deceives his brother. He deceives his dad. And in the scriptures, he's like junior varsity deceptive. Laban is varsity. And I'm trying to encourage some of you in this room. 
you will always meet someone more deceptive, more pretty, more stronger, more smarter, more athletic than you. The goal is not to cheat and lie your way to the top. The goal is to let God to bring you there. And Jacob, he finally has met his match. He has met a man who, who is more deceptive than him. And it's crazy because Jacob ends up spending 20 years working for this man. When he, when he wakes up the next morning, he's like, how could you give me Leah? I wanted Rachel. And you know what Laban says? If you want Rachel, you got to give me seven more years. Ladies, 14 years before he got Rachel. And Laban and Jacob have this 20-year relationship full of tension and strife. And at 20 years, Jacob's had enough. One night he tells his wife, I can't work for him anymore. I don't want to live here anymore. Let's pack our stuff in the middle of the night and let's bounce. Let's get out of here. I don't want to be here anymore. And the next morning, Laban finds out and begins to hunt after Jacob. And in the, in the journey to Jacob to kill him, God encounters Laban and says, I don't want you touching Jacob. Leave him alone. I want you to bless him. And these two men who have been quarreling for 20 years have this amazing reconciliation. And for the first time in Jacob's life, he has hope that maybe he can go home. And my question for you tonight, if Jacob's going to finally go home, how many know he's got to deal with Esau? And that's the juxtap- that's the theme, that's the purpose of today's talk, is really this question. Will you deal with your Esau? Last week we talked about, if you want this to be the best year of your life, you need to have Jesus in your heart more important than your dreams. That whatever's the most important, biggest dream of your life, you got to lay it on the altar of God. And when you surrender, God will provide a sacrifice. Today is all about if you want to move forward, you got to deal with your past. And for 20 years, Jacob has been running from Esau. And I believe this room is filled with people who for years, you've been running from your Esau. Maybe your father abused you as a kid growing up. Maybe your mom died a little too young. Maybe you were married and your spouse divorced you and abandoned you. Maybe when you were younger, you had an abortion that you're too ashamed to talk about and deal with. Maybe you had a boyfriend who was physically and maybe sexually abusive. Maybe you got fired. Maybe your, your business partner betrayed you. Every single person in this room has a past has an Esau. And often what we do is we don't want to deal with it, so we begin to run. And my question for today is, if you want this to be the best year of your life, will you deal with your Esau? And East Jacob, he, he, he finally gets the courage to go home, and as he begins to head home, he gets a report from a reporter that Esau is coming with 400 armed men to meet him. And Jacob's like, I'm surely going to die. My brother's still upset. He's going to kill me. So he devises this plan. He separates his wife and his children from himself. He has them cross over the river and he spends the evening alone on the ground, which is where we pick up in Genesis chapter 32. And Esau, he goes to bed that night thinking, Esau's going to find me tonight and just kill me. And in the middle of the night, Esau does not show up a man shows up and they begin to wrestle. And they begin to wrestle all night long. In the middle of this wrestling match, Jacob realizes this is not any man. This is God. And I want to point something out to you. God wrestles with us to get us to the end of our rope. And God is not wrestling because he's trying to show himself strong. God's not wrestling because he wants to sh- like, like pin us and like, like make, humiliate us. He wants relationship with us. I remember every time my daughters, they have this routine every night where at seven o'clock, like clockwork, it's time. Girls, it's bedtime. And we have this routine where they got to go jump in their pajamas. They got to go brush their teeth, wash their face, and then we'll read a book. And if we have time, they'll look at me like, Dad, can you chase us and tickle us? And I look at my wife, I'm like, Do I got permission to terrorize my kids. Let's go. And I'll give them 10 seconds. 10, 1, and I'm just chasing after them, right? And I'll tackle them, I'll pin them to the ground, and I will literally like tickle them till they can't breathe. And my daughter's like, Dad, Dad, ah, like she's screaming. <sighs> Again, 
Because they love wrestling with their dad, even though they know they don't have the strength to beat me. Listen, God is not wrestling Jacob because Jacob is no match for God. I'm trying to get this into your mind that God does not wrestle us because he thinks we're equals. God is way stronger than us. Have you ever seen professional wrestling? Any professional wrestling fans in the room? Any spirit-filled Christians? I can't see, but I'm believing by faith that all the men have their hand up. Come on. As a high school kid, I was not addicted. I would use the word obsessed with WWF until they changed the name to WWE. But back when I was growing up, it was WWF. And we had Macho Man Randy Savage. And we had the Ultimate Warrior. And we had Stone Cold Steve Austin who would break a, a beer can and like crush it with his hand. And the beer would slap on his face. Because beer slaps when it hits you in the face. Right? And this man, I, I loved wrestling. But I have like heartbreaking news to share with some of you. I, 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 I hate to let you down, but like... Wrestling is, is not real. I know I figured this out in COVID and I cried for an hour. I, I was shocked, right? Wrestling is fake. Listen, they know who's going to win before they go in the ring. It's just a performance. Listen, Jacob wrestling Esau is more fake than professional wrestling. Listen to me. Write this down. God is not wrestling to prove his strength. God is wrestling with you for you to admit your weakness. God is not looking for a wrestling match. God is looking for a moment with you. And he's wrestling with Jacob. He's almost like, I can see Jesus like kind of laughing like, dude, this guy won't quit. And in the middle of this conversation, in the middle of this wrestling match, Jesus pulls out his hand and pops him in his hip. And the Christophany turns into Christ the chiropractor and he breaks the dude's hip. It's like, why is God doing this? Why is God wrestling with Jacob? You need to understand God is a loving God. God is a relational God. God is a God who wants relationship with us. And, and what, what's crazy is uh, so many people think the God of the Old Testament is different than the God of the New Testament. It's like, no, no, no. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And the loving, patient, gracious God that you see in the New Testament is the exact same God that we see here. God humbles himself from heaven, takes on human flesh, pursues this man, Jacob, who has been running from his calling for 20 years and wrestles with him. He doesn't pin him when he can, doesn't break his arm, even though he has every right to be, but it says that God's loving patience and kindness, that's what leads us to repentance. God is patient with Jacob. Jacob. God is loving towards Jacob. And in one moment, he reveals, bro, we're not really wrestling. I'm trying to reveal myself to you. You got to write this point down. Wrestling leads to brokenness. That's the first thing that I want you to see in this story, that wrestling leads to brokenness. And God only works with broken people. God, you don't come to God with your strength. You don't come to God with your intelligence. You don't come to God with your accolades and your good looks and your money. You come to God empty-handed, alone and broken. When you come to God with your, your, your degrees and your, your accolades, God doesn't use people like that. God uses humble people. God uses broken people. How else could his power shine through you? It says in 1 Corinthians on the screen, verse 1, verse 27, it says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. God is not looking for people to say, look how much ability I have, God. God is looking for people that say, God, I'm available. I don't got much but I believe that when I'm weak, that's when you're strong. I believe the, this room is filled with people who are ready to be available to be used by God. And this story becomes amazing because God breaks Jacob's hip. The wrestling and he just pops it. And you got to realize that the greater the breaking, the greater the anointing. That you and I are olives, but ministry, the way that we walk in our calling with God is not the olive it's the olive oil. It's not when we're whole. 
It's after we're crushed. And so often we don't want the pain. We don't want the suffering. We don't want the breaking. And the question becomes, Pastor Ali, how do I know I'm broken before God? How do I know I'm, I have a contrite heart, a humble spirit before God? Because the way that you wrestle changes. Jacob goes from wrestling, from fighting, from arguing with God to clinging. When, when God pops his hip, the Bible says that Jacob literally holds on to Jesus and will not let go. So much so that Jesus says, let me go. It's almost daybreak. And Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. And it reminds me of my daughter, Sophia. When, when we had to go to the doctors uh, for her routine checkups, uh, after the age of one, uh, she started beginning, starting to have all of her, not just routine annual checkups where they check her weight, her height, you know, her heart rate and her blood and stuff like that. But they start giving her vaccines, and it's not a political thing. I'm just like normal vaccines, like polio and all the good stuff, right? But the very first time my daughter goes to the doctor, she's like taking her clothes off, having a good time. She's trusting the doctor. The doctor's giving her stickers and books like, you're Santa Claus, bro. Like, he wears red, you wear white. I'm all about this. Like, give me more toys. Give me more stickers. And her attitude quickly changed when the doctor pulled out a needle and stuck three in her leg. And then fast forward a year, and you think there's no way. There is no way this little girl remembers. Trust me, this little girl remembered. We go to Kaiser, and my daughter is like nervous, looking around for Satan in the white coat, right? Sees no one wearing the white coat. We go to the doctor's office. Again, she's on the edge of her seat, nervous. This two-year-old is waiting for Lucifer. The nurse walks in, green or blue scrubs, right? Daughter's like finally breathing calm. Then Lucifer walks in with the tray, and my daughter loses it and my wife holding her hand we're trying to talk to her you cannot rationalize with a two-year-old by the way you can try all you want it's like they're gone my daughter's screaming there are probably people in the other room saying oh my gosh those are the words they're probably beating their kid to scream this girl's screaming so loud it gets to the point where my wife tries to hold Sophia my wife is like my daughter's like kicking and screaming now my daughter's crying now my wife is crying it's like chaos and finally, I'm like, babe, let me just try. So I pick up my daughter. I sit her on my lap. I make her face me. So her legs are wrapped around me, and I'm holding on. And this girl is like hitting me, kicking me. Let me go. Ah! Gets to the point where she realizes I'm much, much stronger than her. And she can't get away. And then she just buries her head into my chest and just takes it like a champ. Listen, brokenness is never enjoyable, but it's so, so necessary. And God doesn't break you to leave you there in that place. It's not a destination. It's a season. And wrestling leads to brokenness. And you need to write this down. Brokenness leads to blessing. Wrestling leads to brokenness. Brokenness leads to blessing. Jacob's done. Jacob's done arguing, Jacob's done fighting, Jacob's done kicking, just like my daughter, he's done wrestling. This is the very first time in Jacob's life he's actually in a fair fight. Every time before this, Jacob has lied to his dad, he has lied to his brother, he has schemed Laban, he has cheated, stolen, schemed his way to his top, and he's finally met someone who will pin him who will conquer him, who is stronger than him, who wrestled with him all night long. And Jacob realizes, I can't win. I can't. I can't do this, God. I've been wrestling with you. I'm, I, I can't do this. And God, through this Christophany, Jesus says, what is your name? And Jacob says, I'm, I'm Jacob. And Jacob literally means trickster or deceiver. And Jacob's entire life, this man has been lying, he's been stealing, he's been deceiving his way to the top, to blessings. He's been literally living out his name. The problem is that Jacob has this massive calling, but he has this tiny character. And the worst thing that God can do is to release you into your calling when you don't have the character to handle it. The worst thing that God can do is to bless the person you pretend to be. God cannot create you into who you were created to be until you admit who you really are. 
Some of you need to come clean with your porn, with your alcohol, with your addictions, with your brokenness, with, with the abuse, whether it's physical, verbal, or sexual. You cannot pretend to be someone that you are not. Jacob, his whole life has been trying to be Esau, the big, strong guy, lying and stealing his way to the top. God's saying, that's not how I see you, Jacob. That's not who you are. You, you need some character. Every person in this room, when you are broken before God, that's where you receive the blessing. Some of you in your room, you need to pray not just for a calling, but for character. Character have to conviction. Character that when you walk into a room and everyone says yes, you still have the conviction to say no. Everyone may bow their knee, but you won't. Character only comes through suffering. Character only comes when the pressure is high, when you're crushed, when you're pressed down. Wrestling produces character. And God looks at Jacob and says, what's your name? Even though he already knows it, because God's all-knowing. He wants Jacob to realize who he is, who he's pretending to be his whole life. He's just living out his identity. He goes, who are you? And Jacob goes, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a, I'm a deceptive person. And Jesus goes, that's not who you are. That's not who I created you to be. You are who I say that you are. You are Israel, which literally means prince. And that right there is the greatest blessing that you need in 2022. The greatest thing we talked about last week was you put your dreams on the altar. This week is that you get your identity from God after you stop pretending to be someone you're not. The greatest thing that you could ever have is an identity from Christ. See, you, you don't realize this and you don't believe me, but 100% of the time, the way you behave, the way you act is not determined by the way your parents talk to you. It's not determined by how your friends see you or how much money you have in the bank account. It's how you see yourself. You need an identity. This is what Jesus promises us in the New Testament. Nicodemus comes to him at night and says, how do I enter the kingdom of heaven? Jesus says, you must be born again. What Jesus is trying to get you and I to realize the greatest blessing that you and I receive is not external. He can give you a house. He can heal you. He can give you a car. But it's internal to forgive you of your sins. But it's not just penal substitutionary atonement. It's an identity in Christ. That you are a prince. That you have a calling. That you are royalty. That you are the head and not the tail. That you are above and not beneath. That you are called, you are anointed, you are created for good works, you are created on purpose, for purpose. That you are a leader, you are a person of influence, and the greatest mistake of your life is that you don't believe it. And Jacob doesn't even know who he is. He's got money for days, he's got, 12, he's got multiple wives, he's got 12 kids, and yet he has nothing because he's blind and he's poor because he doesn't know who he is. He thinks himself as a thief, as a deceiver. He is simply acting out his calling and his identity. And this is where you need to write this down. Right believing leads to right living. Too many of you in this room are trying to change your behavior, trying to stop smoking, stop smoking weed, lying and stealing. Everything that you are focusing on is external. And everything Jesus focuses on is internal. The reason you behave that way is because you are believing the wrong things about yourself. Right? Believing leads to right living. And every time God comes to someone in the Old Testament, he literally changes their name. Abram becomes Abraham. Gideon becomes the mighty warrior. In the New Testament, Jesus comes to a dude named Saul. He's literally killing Christians. And God changes his name to Saul. From Saul to Paul. And Paul becomes the greatest apostle, plants more church than anyone not named Jesus in the New Testament. He even comes to a guy named Simon. And we know him as Peter. Do you know what Simon means? Simon literally means reed or, or water. And when you pour water into something, it shifts. It changes its shape into whatever you pour it into. But Jesus says, you're no longer Simon. You are now Peter, which means rocks. Rocks don't change their shape no matter what circumstance they're in. 
And God, when he calls you by your identity, when he calls you by, by who you truly are, he's not talking to you from your past. He's not talking to you who you are in the present. He's the only one who sees your tomorrow. He sees your potential. He's the one that came to Peter and says, upon this rock, I will build my church. This is the guy that cussed to Jesus. This is the guy that denied Jesus. This is the guy that, that, that didn't, that every time he, he could show himself strong, he failed and was weak. But God says, I see a different you, Peter. I see Peter, not Simon. Maybe your parents see that. Maybe your friends see that. I see someone who's called, who's anointed, and God speaks to your identity. Who are you, Jacob? You're not a thief. You're a prince. You're, you're royalty, bro. Don't you know who you are? Right believing leads to right living. And Jacob, he realizes for the first time he's not wrestling with man. He's wrestling with God and says, what, what is your name? God's like, I'm not going to tell you your, my name. But you struggle with man and with God and you overcame. And Jacob stands up and he realizes he had wrestled with God. And he names that place Peniel. Because every time someone saw the face of God, they died. You can't see the face of God. You, even when we, you and I go to heaven one day, we will never see the Father face to face. Why? Because his glory is too great for us. Who will we see? We will see Jesus. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus is the manifestation of the glory of God. So that means when you see Jesus, you see the glory of God. And Jacob gets up receiving the greatest blessing that anyone can ever receive. And that's my dream. That's my hope for you tonight, that you would wrestle with God because wrestling leads to brokenness, that in your brokenness, it will lead to a blessing, not an external blessing, but an internal one. And Jacob, he leaves this place with a limp. And he thinks, oh my gosh, I, I, gotta, I have to go deal with Esau now. And Esau's probably going to kill me. And what you and I don't realize is when you surrender your life, when you give control over to Jesus, you don't handle Esau by yourself. Jesus comes and helps you handle Esau. And this room is full of people, let me tell you, who have been running from Esau their whole life. You've been running from that divorce. You've been running from that miscarriage. And not only that, you, you hide it. You don't talk about it. And so often we want to clean up our life and then we come to Jesus like, oh my gosh, no, 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 no. You come to Jesus and he's the one that cleans up your past. And when he cleans it up, he, he gives you a limp. And, and Jacob, this is this beautiful story. You should go read it in Genesis chapter 32. He has this amazing reconciliation with Esau. Esau comes to him with his 400 men, not to kill Jacob, but to kiss him. They embrace, they hug. They haven't seen each other in 20 years. And Jacob, he's finally healed. He's no longer this thief. He's no longer this deceptive person. And that's my dream for so many of you today. Would you finally deal with your Esau? God will not let you do it alone. He's going to come. He's going to handle the pain. He's going to handle the, tr the trauma. And no matter what mistake you've made, no matter what trauma has been done, no matter what sin you have done yourself, that's not how God sees you. You are not your mistake. You are who God says that you are. And what's so beautiful is that Jesus breaks Jacob's hip. And from that day on, Jacob is no longer this deceiver. He's a prince. And a lot of you people, maybe my, even myself, when I first came to the scriptures, I said, well, if Jacob is so blessed, why in the world is he walking with a limp? I want to end with these two thoughts. Number one, write this down. Your limp is your testimony. Your limp is your testimony. Every day from that day forth, this liar, this thief, who God saw, who God loved, who God relationally came, how close relationally Jacob and Jesus were touching, they were face-to-face -face wrestling, that's how relational God wants to be with you. And he says, that's not who you are. You're not a thief anymore. You're going to be the, from the lineage of the, the, the Savior of the world, that God is going to use you, Israel, to make many sons, that the, you, one of your sons, Judah, I'm going to come through the line of the tribe of Judah. And from that day forth, the, the limp, it was a reminder of his testimony. 
Some of you hide your past. Some of you hide that God broke the porn addiction. Some of you hide that he broke the cocaine, the alcohol, the abuse, the sexual things that occurred to you that you never wanted, you never asked for, but it was done to you, and Jesus healed you, and you hide your limp. And what you do is you hide your testimony, and you hide the glory of God, of what God has done in your life. Jacob could not hide his limp. Every day for the rest of his life, this man, this blessed man, had a limp. Why? Because it was his testimony. But number two, I said at the very beginning, there are five ways that God reveals himself through events, through titles, through prophecy. It was not just a Christophany, but listen, it was a like experience. Someone say like experience. In the same way that Jacob is wounded and he's never the same, Jesus is wounded and he is never the same. Jesus, 2,000 years ago, died on a cruel, rugged cross, and they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross. And Jesus died, not just for us. Isaiah 53 says this in verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. That means Jesus did not just die for us, Listen to me. He died as us. He died a literal death. They literally put nails in his hands. And when he died, he was dead for three days. He went into Abraham's bosom, declared his victory to all the Old Testament saints who were waiting for the atonement. And then he resurrected three days later, defeating death, sin, and hell. And for 40 days, Jesus walked the earth. And the disciples, when they saw him, they didn't say, prove it by walking on water. They didn't say prove it by doing miracles. They didn't say prove it by multiplying the bread and the fish. You know what they said? Show me your limp. Show me your scars, Jesus. Then we'll believe. Jesus' limp was his testimony. And when you and I get to heaven one day, you'll see the scars in his hand that he suffered so that you could live. His scars, his limp is your testimony. He carries them for eternity because it's a glorification of what God the Father did. He forgave us in Christ. And Jacob's limp is a declaration that this is my testimony, that I used to be a liar, that I used to be a thief, but my God came to me. He pursued me. He loved me. And my wrestling led to brokenness. And my brokenness led to the greatest blessing. He gave me a new identity that I'm a prince, and that's what I'm praying for you, Center Set. That you would finally deal with your Esau, your alcohol, your anger, your lust, your harsh tongue, the things that you really are, that you hide from people because you don't want them to know. This is going to be the year that we stop running and we handle Esau. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. What is he saying with this testimony? With this statement, he's saying, yes, I've had a past. Yes, I've made mistakes. Yes, I'm, I've made mistakes bigger than all of you, but I've, I have a horrible past, but God came to me. God pursued me. God loved me. God redeemed me. He's blessed me, and I'm stepping into my future. Even though I got limps, my limp is my testimony that because I'm not dead, that means God is not done. And that's what God wants to do in your life. You want 2022 to be the best year of your life? Two things. Lay your Isaac on the altar. And number two, deal with your Esau. If you guys can stand and close your eyes and bow your heads. Thank you, Jesus, that you are more glorious than we give you credit for. There are not words, Jesus, to describe how patient, how loving, how amazing, how miraculous, how beautiful you are, God. I pray, Jesus, for every person in this room, who, whether they're online, they're on their phone, they're on their bike listening by a podcast, that they would be overwhelmed with the love of God. They would be overcome by how glorious, how amazing that you are. You pursue sinners. You love broken people because in our brokenness, God, you give us a blessing that is not a car, a house, a job, money. It's an identity, God. We see ourselves for who we were created to be. God, we have so many goals. 
We have so many aspirations. Some of us want six packs. Some of us want six-figure salaries. Some of us want a Tesla, a home. God, I pray that we would get you. And when we get you, we would get our identity. When we get you, we get life and life abundantly, God. There are so many things that we can get in life, but you are the greatest, Jesus. I pray for the next 21 days, God, as we fast and pray as a church, as we wrestle with you, that you would break us, you would humble us, that all of us would get to the end of ourselves, that we would stop pretending to be people that we're not. And in our brokenness, God, when we reach the end of ourselves, we'd say, I can't, I need you, God, and that you would do your thing. I feel led to pray for those of you online and listening by in the room. This is a holy moment. For some of you, this is your moment of salvation. God has been tugging on your heart this entire message. And God wants a relationship with you. If that's you and you want to start a relationship with the living God, I would love to pray for you. I would love to lead you in a prayer that will allow you to receive the, the things of God. Just repeat this prayer in my heart. God, dear Jesus, thank you for creating me and loving me even when I've ignored you and gone my own way. I realize I need you in my life. I'm sorry for my sin. I ask you to forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. As much as I know and as I want to follow you from now on, please come into my life. Make me a new person inside. I accept your free gift of salvation. Help me to grow as a Christian, in Jesus' name. If that was you, I need you in the room to do one of two things. I need you to pull out the connect card, just pull it out, fill it out, and on the box it says, I accepted Christ today. For those of you watching and listening online, text to 90, the number 97,000, text the word CS Jesus. Let us know that you accepted Christ. For the rest of you, in three weeks, we are starting groups. As a faith community, we are all going through Rooted together as a faith community. We are going through a 10-week deep discipleship program. We cannot be the same Christians that we came into COVID. We came out different Christians. We were 200 people pre-COVID, and we're about 75 to 90 right now. Why? Because most of the lukewarm Christians have walked away. The Christians that are here, it's time to turn the heat up. It's time to give our life to Jesus in a greater degree. It's time to have him more in our life. It's time to do rooted and grow our faith. You don't want to miss it. At the end of January, we're going. If you want to be a part of it, pull out the connect card. Fill it out. On January 3rd, we're also having baptisms. We already have one person signed up. We would love more. If that's you and you want to take your private faith and you want to go public with it through baptism, January 30th, fill out the connect card. It's time to get you baptized. And listen, on the fourth Tuesday of this month, we are moving away from weekly growth track and we're now going back to monthly growth track. It'll be on a Tuesday night here at True Hope, probably, honestly, in this room. It'll be over dinner. I'll be leading it. We'll talk. We'll talk about who, who you are, what the church wants to do. We'll help you discover your calling. You don't want to miss it. What's your next step? Don't just listen to the sermon and move on. Take your next step. As a church, we're praying for 21 days. Starting today, no more bacon, it's broccoli. I love you, church. I cannot wait to see you next week. I'm out of this quarantine, this silliness. I'm fully vaccinated, by the way. I'm just doing this to keep you guys safe. I miss you. I can't wait to see you. I love you, church. Goodbye. Thanks so much for listening. We hope this message impacted you and inspires you to draw closer to Jesus. Subscribe to this podcast and give us a follow on Instagram at Centerset Church to keep up with all that God is doing in our community. Also, we'd love to be in prayer with you. If you have any prayer requests, please send them to info at centerset.church.